You are listening to The State of Sustainability, a podcast that highlights sustainability initiatives throughout the state and develops a casual conversation about environmental stewardship that the average person can understand and replicate. I'm your host, Caleb Powell. And I'm your co-host, Ashley Cabrera. All right, on today's podcast, or I guess this month's podcast, we are going to be talking about sustainable woodworking. This is something of my own heart. Um, I I dabble a little bit in woodworking, uh, but not as much as our guests that are coming on. So we're very excited to have Honest Roots as our guest. Um, How are you guys? This is a husband and wife team. So how are you guys doing, Kelsey and Kirby? We're good. How are you? Doing good. Can't complain. Uh, We still are of course, locked into our home offices. So we're still having to do these podcast episodes um, over the phone. Hope you guys aren't getting tired of um, of the phone uh, quality voice, but I think it is just as good um, and we want to be safe. So, um, so I wanted to introduce Kirby and Kelsey Davis um, and give a little background of their company and uh, what they do. So, um, Honest Roots is a husband and wife team, like I said, uh, out of Middle Tennessee, uh, and they save one tree at a time by um, giving it a chance for new life. So Kirby Davis is the head craftsman behind the woodworking, and he is also a full-time firefighter. Kelsey is the social media and marketing coordinator for the company and is also a full-time environmental consultant for the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation. You guys might recognize Kelsey's voice. She's been on the podcast before. She's one of our colleagues, and she um, is a great um, colleague to have, and um, we just we had such fun time last time that we, we asked her if she could come back on the, on the podcast. So, um, together they have made a great team and they provide locally sourced, sustainable, handmade wooden products and actually have, um, some at my house. So I, I, we'll get into a little bit more of the process that you guys do and what makes you guys so sustainable. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show. I know we sort of had short notice, but um, that's just how things go uh, in 2020. So, um, Ashley, if you want to start our, our questions off, and we'll get this conversation started. Yeah, thank you all. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just thinking about the beautiful cheese board that I have um, from you all. So, um, yeah, really great. Um so can you start off, uh, either Kirby or Kelsey, whoever wants to, to talk about the history behind Honest Fruits, um, just, you know, um, your heart behind it and just how it came to be. Sure, I can answer that question for you. So Honest Fruits officially started in January of 2020, but it, it has sort of a, a history that goes back before that. Um, in 2018, I was looking to uh, made my mom a Christmas gift and I didn't know what to use and uh, I had some wood laying around and I just thought it would be nice to you know make her some type of cutting board or charcuterie board or cheese board and give that to her for Christmas and it went you know it went pretty well and I just sort of thought you know I think we could you know get better at this and make these and try to sell them and so that's sort of where it started. And then 2019 was just really slow. We were really doing a lot of learning. And uh, and we were also trying to create some uh, inventory with wood. So we moved into a new house, and we had to cut down some trees because the, the trees were going to cause damage. And we had all that lumber milled. And so that gave us some flexibility to 
actually practice and, uh, and get good at our craft. So it, it, it really started in 2019, but to, or January 2020 is when like the official business, you know, became a business. Yeah, that's, it's really cool. You guys do a lot of great work. And so what makes you guys, what makes Honest Roots different than just a normal, um, I don't know, uh, woodworking business? So one of the things that we're really passionate about is where we get our wood from. And that's probably the biggest difference in the majority of woodworkers, um, Woodworkers are really passionate about the types of wood that they use, so a lot of them will source them from overseas and get the really nice exotic woods and things that aren't necessarily local to um, Tennessee or even to our country sometimes. And one of the things we really try to promote is that our local native Tennessee hardwoods are just as beautiful as some of the exotic stuff, and there's no need you know, to source things from so far away and we have so many beautiful options here in Tennessee. So that's one of the main reasons that um, we really kind of stand out. We only use native Tennessee hardwoods in all of our woodworking. What else do you guys make? Not just cheese boards. You make all kinds of different products. So our, our, main, our main product is uh, we would consider a, a charcuterie board. Um, most of them are just live edge. Uh, it just adds a lot of character and just a, a lot of... Um, independence to the piece uh but then we also make spoons and you know we make cutting boards we've made uh we've made a, a couple of small table um but our our bread and butter is just in the serving the serving boards the charcuterie boards and the, the cutting boards yeah and i but mean also, oh go ahead sorry also, no you're, you're fine i wanted to i wanted to touch on the the log thing you were talking about a lot of times people when they do cut down trees they will take logs to landfills which uh is you know that's the last thing we want the the last place you know part of nature should be is in a landfill so sometimes they do get they do end up at organic landfills and they can get chipped up or they can be used for other things but you know it for someone who you know cuts a tree down that's in their yard and they just want to get rid of it a lot of times the tree services will just take them to landfills because there's nowhere else to put them yeah and you know um i've been doing some research for a class that i'm taking and a lot of um, uh, landfill reclamations or mining operations that they've started to do, um, actually, when a majority of the uh, material that is taken out of those um, operations is wood or other construction and demolition stuff uh, that isn't able to decompose properly. So, um, you know, keeping keeping wood waste and and stuff like that out of the landfill is is really important because. Um, it's not. It's just not able to decompose and and go back to the earth like it should. Uh, go into landfills. Exactly. That's one of the really important things about our product is that we everything that we take from the earth needs to be able to go back to the earth naturally as it was intended. And so all of our products are finished with earth friendly um, finishes. We don't use any chemicals or poly based sealant, so that when you're done with your product you know, it can naturally return to the earth. Or we also believe in product ownership, which is a big deal for some companies who have environmentally friendly initiatives and beliefs. Um, so that if you are ever finished with your product for whatever reason, we will happily take it back and either repurpose it or reuse it in some other way. Yeah, that's that's important. Yeah, that's good. That's like 
Yeah, it, it comes full circle. Um, I do have a question. So, you know, y'all may have had, uh, you know, you may have trees you cut down and that's the wood you use or, um, or whatnot, but say that, you know, I have to cut down a tree at home or, or someone else that's listening. Um, and they don't necessarily have, you know, are woodworkers and can't make it into, you know, a beautiful board. Um, other than, you know, using as firewood, what, what can they do, um, to keep it out of the landfill? How can they reuse it? Uh, well, that, that's a fantastic question. Um, logs in general have a lot of like interesting and, uh, creative uses. So, um, you can use it as a bench. Uh, we use it at our house. We actually have a log that, uh, helps us keep our compost in a, in, in a contained area. And, uh, it, it helps because as that log decomposes, it just adds more nutrients to the compost, you know? So you can use it as barriers. You could make, um, you, you know, you could make a raised garden bed out of your logs. You could drill holes in it and plant little flowers in there. There, you know, you just, there's a thousand different uses for them that people, you know, that people can use a log for. The, the biggest obstacle really is if it's big, it's just hard to move around. So that that's really the biggest obstacle that you have to get creative with and figure out like how to move it and how to get it to where you want it to go. And sometimes you can work with your tree service company. Like we will partner with local tree service companies that when they have removed a, a tree due to hazard, we will go get that log for them. But um, sometimes they will cut it to your spec. So we had an individual recently um, when we came and got the log for her, some of the larger branches, she had the tree service company cut so that she could make benches out of them around her fire pit. So you could always work with whoever your provider is, and sometimes they'll, they'll go above and beyond for you. Yeah, and I feel like that um, these tree services, you know, when you hire them to come clean up or cut a tree down because of um, potential danger, you know, they they have to figure out what to do with it. So if you wanted it, I feel like they would be more than happy to leave sections of the logs or, or parts with you for you to be able to do what, you know, whatever you'd like with. I, that, that's my assumption. I, I don't know that for, for a fact, but um, that's just my yeah. assumption. Yes, for the most part, because that's how we're able to get them, because it helps them out. You know, they're we're taking it off of their hands. They no longer have to get rid of it, and we're able to mill it ourselves and use it for a, a better beneficial end use. So it's it's a good process. Yeah, I, I love um, the fact that, you know, trees take so long to, to mature and get to the point where, you know, they're they're massive and they're, they've got huge... Um, logs that, that come out of them and and it's sad to see them just be chopped up or you know put turned into um, mulch or I mean I, I know that's better than it being thrown away but being able to see it in um, the beauty of it you know oiled down as a as a art piece or a you know not a nice charcuterie board I mean I, that's just sort of shows the beauty of the tree and like you said gives a a new life to that to that wood um so i just i love being able to see that kind of stuff and i think uh, my fiance we're going to be moving into a house pretty soon or a townhome pretty soon and i think she she's obsessed with like the whole organic feel um of you know seeing the wood grain and stuff like that so i'm sure that we're going to have quite a bit of um 
uh, sustainable woodworking uh, in the house once we move in. <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. And, and we have very similar tastes as well. That's why Herbie mentioned a lot of our stuff is live ed. We really like to just let the tree speak to us and reveal its natural beauty. You know, there's, it doesn't need a whole lot of work. It just takes a little bit of love and care, and then you can see what it was truly meant to be. So, the ultimate question here, why is sustainability important? Well, we think sustainability is, is mostly important because it's it's just about being good and, and being just good in general, you know. Uh, it's about being a good person. It's about uh, being good to your society, good to your community, good to your neighbors, and, and most importantly, good to the earth, you know. Um, we try to run our business off of this concept called conscious capitalism, <clears throat> in which it, it really means that all stakeholders are important, and that's that includes the earth, you know, that includes your suppliers, and that includes your customers, and that, that includes us, you know. Um, sustainability helps us make win-win relationships, so we, we talked briefly about how we have these relationships with uh, local tree services and we help them out by getting the logs and they help us out by calling us when they have a log for us to get. And so just just through sustainability and saving that, we create these relationships with other community leaders and uh, it, it, they make win-win. Um, let's see here. And then we also touched a little bit about the closed loop system. Uh, we like to call it cradle to cradle. And it, it just uh, it helps us just keep everything that we that we create. It just comes back to us and it goes where it belongs. There's no waste. There's no waste involved um, with our system, and that's that's extremely important for us. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for what you do. Um, and we will. I hope you guys have a merry Christmas, and I hope that uh, Honest Roots does uh, does well in the upcoming year. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for having us. The Ranger Report, brought to you by the Tennessee State Parks. Fun and adventure, naturally. All right, this month we are super excited to be highlighting Big Hill Pond State Park. This is actually one of the parks that I have not been to yet, so I'm excited to learn a lot about the state park and uh, the great opportunities that are there. Uh, so today we are joined by um, the, the park manager, actually, Justin King. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, it is almost Christmas time and I'm in the spirit, so um, uh, I could say I'm doing pretty great. Uh, you got any big Christmas plans? Um, maybe. I think some of the family is going to get together. We're going to try to keep it in small groups. and uh, It's calling for a little chance of snow, so we might have some snow on Christmas this year, hopefully. I know. I, I I was looking at that, and it's getting it's sort of getting warm before it's gonna rain, but then it's gonna drop. So um, it might be some ice. Uh, so be careful out there. I, I'm hoping to see a white Christmas. I haven't seen one in a long time. Yeah, we haven't either. Well, um, en enough of the chit chat. Uh, I want to talk about your park. Um, basically, well, we already talked about who you are, Justin King. Uh, you are the the park manager. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, your experience with uh, the parks and how you how you came to be the Big Hill Pond State Park Park Manager? Well, I started almost 16 years ago as a seasonal laborer here at Big Hill Pond. Um, I eventually promoted to a full-time maintenance staff while I was working on my bachelor's degree. 
and after I finished it, um, I promoted to a park ranger at Chickasaw State Park, where I stayed two years, and then luckily I got to transfer back to Big Hill Pond as the park ranger there. Um, I was uh, promoted to the park manager a little over a year ago, so this is home to me, and I love the park, and love sharing everything with our visitors. Well, awesome. Uh, that's pretty cool. It, uh, I've noticed that a lot of um, rangers uh, that have similar stories where they, they grew up going to, um, I don't know if you grew up in the area, but um, they grew up going to the park or they, they lived there forever and then they started as a, a seasonal and then worked their way up to, to being a ranger and, and in your case, uh, to the manager. So. So congrats on your, I guess it's not a new position since you've been there for a year, but it's newer, you know. Um, well, awesome. Uh, I wanted to go, uh, like I was saying earlier, I have never been to Big Hill Pond, um, so I want, am excited to learn a little bit about it. Um, could you give us maybe like a short history um, of the park and what it was before and, um, and just anything that you deem of interest? I can. The park was founded in 1976. Uh, but our history goes way back before then, back to Native American times and then to the railroad and Civil War. Um, but we're probably most commonly recognized with the Memphis-Charleston Railroad and when they came through the area in 1853. Uh, they took dirt from a borrow pit and they cut through a hill on the south end of the park and they took all the dirt to make a levee system for the railroad across the Cypress, Tuscumbia, and Hatchie Rivers. And after they removed all the dirt from that area, it formed a 35-acre pond um, that's full of cypress trees. It's just a pristine wetland that not many people have been able to access until about two years ago, and we were able to have a new road built down to the Big Hill Pond. So we're getting some more visitors down to that area. It's a great place. It looks like a, a mini real foot. Um, and then a little later, like I said, Civil War, um, in the 1860s, we had some areas on the park where there were some skirmishes, and we also had a small fort located on the park that watched the railroad tracks. So if you want to fast forward a little bit to uh, after the war, people settling in the area and farming, um, our next big story that we like to tell is moonshiners. This was... Uh, big in our area. A lot of people was making homemade liquor and selling it and we're lucky enough to have a famous sheriff that called McNary County home, uh, Sheriff Buford Pusser. And we get to tell several stories about him here at the park. That's that's funny that you say that. My dad's name is Buford um, and so growing up that was his favorite uh, that was his favorite um, movie and and show and and that was like his favorite actor or or your character you know um um yeah we've still got a couple spots on the park where you can see where the old steels were at and a couple of them have bullet holes and axe holes and barrels that are left at those sites wow i'll have to i'll have to plan a family trip to to head on out and, and that, that goes to my next point um if someone like myself has never been there and actually isn't really familiar with the entire state park system um, if you're looking at a, at a map of, of Tennessee, can you sort of give us the location uh, that the park lies? We're located in southwest Minary County, uh, right on the Hardman County and Mississippi State Line. 
if you drew a line from Memphis, Tennessee east and a line from Jackson, Tennessee south where they intersect is going to be pretty close to the park. We're about an hour east of Memphis and about an hour south of Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, we get a lot of visitors from Memphis, Jackson, and then Corinth, Mississippi, just right below us. Awesome. Um, and then I, I did a little bit of research. I know you guys are, I think, a little over 4,000 acres, correct? On, on site, we're about 4,200 acres, and we also oversee the Battle of Davis Bridge battle site, which is roughly 800 acres that we help take care of along with the National Park Service. Awesome. So would you say that that's uh, in in the, the range of the, all of the Tennessee state parks? Would you say it's a small, medium, large? How, you, how would you classify that? Um, as far as acreage, I would say we're probably medium. As far as um, what all we have here on the park, I'm going to say we're a little on the smaller side. We're more of a primitive park focused towards hiking, fishing, and uh, primitive camping. Awesome. And that's a great... Um, transition into what I was going to ask next. Um, so what activities, you, you mentioned a few right there, um, what other activities do you guys have at the park? Well, we've got 30 miles of hiking trails. Um, our easiest trail would probably be the Turkey Call Trail. It's a little over three miles long. It takes in the Dismal Swamp Boardwalk and the 70-foot-tall Observation Tower. And that's probably our most popular features here at the park is the Turkey Call Trail and then the Dismal Swamp Boardwalk and Tower. Um, our other trails range from medium to difficult. Um, you can um, see the entire park by hiking the trails. They all kind of get the border of the park as long as and the interior of the park. Um, we've got eight miles of horse trails that go around the Travis Mountain Lake. Um, we have a 28 site uh, primitive campsite and four backcountry trail shelters that people can use. And then the, the two lakes that I've referenced, the Travis Matinette Lake, it's 165 acres. We have a lot of people come fishing it. And in the summertime, we rent canoes, kayaks, and fishing boats on that lake. And then you have the 35-acre Big Hill Pond that we give a, a lot of guided tours on in kayaks and canoes and um, have a lot of fishermen go down to that area as well. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I always, uh, in every episode that we have, I always will um, keep links for, uh, or, or not keep links, but uh, p- put the links for our um, Instagram post and everything like that so that um, all the listeners can see what events and stuff you guys have coming up. I know that the COVID-19 um, pandemic has made it where a lot of activities and normal volunteer opportunities aren't able to be done but um i'm sure you know do you you guys have a facebook page we do so uh yeah if you're listening and you you want to know about opportunity you know volunteer opportunities or events or guided hikes and stuff like that you can always find that on their facebook page um and on the is it on the website or, or is a lot of that stuff more on the facebook page uh we do a lot a lot of it on both pages on the facebook page and then the well, I'll link both of those so um, the listeners can have that. Um, is there anything else, Justin, that you can think of that you want to talk about um, regarding your part? Uh, some of the events we've got coming up, we've got a spring 10K race around the Travis Mountain Lake. Um, it's uh, sponsored by the Mountaineer County Chamber Tourism. And then our biggest event uh, that we have at the park is our Walking Tall 50-25K race. It's the third weekend in October, and this 
race brings people in from all over the U.S. This year we had 16 states represented. The first year we had 21 states represented here at the park at one time. It's a huge race. It's a big event. Um, we were able to do it this year and practice social distancing. It's a great race. And what that does was talking about volunteer opportunities. We have work days um, throughout the year for this race. It takes a full year to get everything prepared just for one day of racing. We'll usually have one to two work days a month. And then in August, we'll have work days every weekend where we work on footbridges, the boardwalk, we leaf blow all the trails, uh, put up new signage, new markers. So there's always an easy way to volunteer here at the park. But yeah, hopefully some of our followers over there from the state will find out some of those uh, volunteer opportunities. And I know some of the kids that are graduating college and stuff like that, they are having to um, do um, certain hours for their scholarships, for the uh, Hope Scholarship or something like that. So, so hopefully... We see a few of them every year. Yeah, so hopefully that... that I mean, that's a, that's a what better, in my opinion, what better volunteering than um, with the state parks. I just love getting to go out to the state parks and see the, the, the different types of beauty and history that, that Tennessee holds, so... Well, um, if, I, if we don't have anything else, I'll let you go. I know you're uh, spread thin over there at the park with the holidays coming up, so uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I really appreciate everything that you do, and uh, I can't wait to, to come visit. Yep, you need to put it on the list. I will. I'll, I'll bring my little uh, passport for you to stamp. Good deal. We'll be looking for you. All right, Justin, thank you so much for what you do. Have hey, a good one. Anything else, just let me know. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. All right, same to you.